Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of FL Montreal, who of course presents this program. Good evening, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Really excited about tonight's show because I spent um, a good chunk of 2020 working in the sort of medical technology space. And uh, if there's one thing I learned in 2020, it's that is the next industry to blow up. Right. So the, uh, the, the medical space, I mean, the, you, you look at something anywhere between the technology side and medicine, uh, the telemedicine policies. I mean, everybody's jumped all over telemedicine as well over the last little while that has a number of many good things and not so good things. So I think the medical space is going to continue to, uh, uh, to erupt with uh, a lot of options and, and, and certainly a lot more uh, technology is going to continue to play a very large role in what we're doing. And today we're going to speak to a young entrepreneur, Jade Doucette Martineau. Um, she runs a company that is uh, really at the cutting edge, I think, of, um, of, me of medical technology. And uh, we'll talk about her product. It is uh, Puzzle Medical Devices, and it's a little complicated to explain. Um, can you give me a quick recap, Mike? I mean, it's, it's really, it's a puzzle that's, um, that's unfolding in your body in a way. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the goal is heart related. You know what, I'm going to do everybody a favor and I'm going to let Jad do the <laughs> intro on this because all I'm going to do is either, well, it's not just complicated, I'm just going to end up reading. So, you know what, let, let yeah. the experts talk, talk about the proper topic. So it, it is a device that helps um, cardiac patients and it, it is like a puzzle. That we'll, we'll just leave it for Jade um, because it is quite fascinating and she'll be along on the program this evening in just a few minutes. We'll also speak to Ernie Furt later, tax partner at FL on R&D, since that plays so much a part in uh, in medical technology businesses so that is on the way but first as usual news and notes and uh, some people in the business community mike um buzzing about um taxes we spoke about this last week mm -hmm. on the show you know capital gains probably going to be um hit at some point this year uh taxes in general whether it's on businesses or individuals um, there's talk of a covid tax a special tax to help um, you know, the government replenish its coffers at this time. Uh, Mitch Garber among the people um, advocating for that with, uh, with some comments in La Presse to that effect this week. Yeah, Mitch has always been in the forefront of, uh, you know, of trying to be uh, socially responsible and, and, and deal with a lot of things. So power to him for the commentary that, that he's been raising. I think one of the things that you know, we all have to face is that we are going to have to pay for the COVID subsidies and whether that has been leases, payroll, whether it's the CERB, uh, somewhere at this point uh, in the future. And I don't know if that's six months from now or 24 months from now, we're going to have to find a way to pay for everything that's going on. And, and, and we are going to see our tax rates increase. Uh, we are going to see uh, differing forms of taxation pop up, like you mentioned, the COVID tax. Uh, I think we're there, there's, we're going to start seeing some very creative uh, governmental rollouts when it comes to taxation at the end of the day. And you know, it, it like I've got my whole personal opinion on the tax system and, and and how we support everything. The reality is, in my opinion, government has a very strong place in one environment, and that is during a pandemic and something that is out of the control and out of the hands of of ordinary people. And and, and I think. You know, we, we, we can criticize many of the steps, but that's really where government comes into play from a taxation perspective. And we're going to have to work our way out of that. And that's going to mean taxation uh, on higher. It's going to likely mean changes in capital gains rates, inclusion rates. Uh, we've already seen that, you know, uh, the, uh, the Liberal government increasing tax on dividends and a number of other things. So, yeah, we're in for uh, a period of time that if we don't look and prepare ourselves, um, you know, uh, our great grandchildren are still going to be paying for COVID. And I think that that is pretty much against uh, uh, what everybody's trying to accomplish. 
Yeah, we're all going to be paying in in one form or another, I feel. Um, We'll see how that goes. But uh, one of the things we have to do, I think, as a society is turbocharge those industries that that need to be turbocharged. And medical technology, telemedicine are are two of those. So um, you read these pieces in Harvard Business Review this week, uh, Mike, about telemedicine, what people like and dislike about it. Um, as I mentioned, I, I spent a good chunk of 2020, you know, writing a lot of medical related stuff and and learning about the telemedicine space. And I can say for sure that it is on the rise and that it really it has its place. It has its place in the system. We don't need to always wait in a waiting room um, if someone is available on our smartphone. 100 percent. And, and I think what's going to happen and this will likely find its way to a little bit when we saw the tech boom in the late 90s of, you know, everybody and their uncle trying to find their way into a space. And then there's going to be a, a whole uh, reckoning into who survives and how things work going forward, because there are a lot of issues with telehealth, uh, partially the fact that, you know, it is technology and uh, it excludes an awful lot of the older population who are either uncomfortable or incapable of, of uh, using the technology. Those people obviously at lower income levels who don't have the technology uh, in many cases are, 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 are kept on the outside. So, you know, uh, telehealth as, as, as great as uh, the opportunities are, we have to find ways in order to, to make this applicable and, and usable by everybody. Um, there's no doubt that once the pandemic kicked in, telehealth was represented representing about 1% of medical calls. Uh, it jumped uh, to almost 20% within uh, about six weeks of, of it happening. It's kind of come down a little bit. Uh, and I think part of the reason it's coming down a little bit is it's just this, there, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And unfortunately, there's a lot of things that until we roll them out and we we work through the bugs, uh, it, it takes some time. And, and I think there's a big concern of privacy issues. Uh, I think there's a concern of cost associated with it. Um, there was they were doing a study where uh, they put screens between the doctor and the patients, um, and even that, uh, while they were still physically capable of seeing each other through glass, the fact that they had the screens created this inhibition. Uh, sorry, created this inhibitor to, to to talking and communicating and telling everything. And then you've got the whole discussion that we've had for a long time, which is electronic medical records. Um, as part of my work in, in that space this year, um, because I like th- doing things somewhat obsessively, we actually commissioned a poll and we found that especially among millennials and Gen Zs, um, something like two thirds, I think it was, um, Im- viewed employers more favorably if they offered a telemedicine option, including mental health, which I think is very important for, for people of my generation is having that, having that option and having that sensibility with your employer. Hundred percent. I mean, as as everybody went home in, in the firm around the thirteenth of March last year, within five days we had implemented uh, a tele a telehealth policy. Uh, you know, I dare say probably ninety percent of the people haven't used it. Uh, however, the fact that it's there, I think, makes people a lot more comfortable. And certainly in times of pandemic, uh, sitting in waiting rooms, you know, you go to the hospital and you come out sometimes sicker than when you went in. You know, the, the whole goal here is to maintain, uh, you know, a little bit of sanity and, and, and keep track of uh, your own medical situation. And from home, you certainly have a much better uh, time of that. Um, but, yeah, I, I do feel that there's an awful lot of... Uh, this is going to be one of those perks that I think is going to be very useful going forward. And, you know, when we, we, we do town halls once a month and one of the conversations is constantly is going back to this discussion of telehealth and using it for mental health uh, support. 
at the end of the day, and whether that's being referred to a psychologist, whether that's finding another alternative, whether it's just having somebody to talk to as opposed to feeling like you needed to go to the doctor to get something. So it has a huge place uh, going forward. And it's going to be interesting to see how this works its way out, along with a whole bunch of other revised perks that I think a lot of employers are looking at going forward, where, you know, it used to be parking, it used to be a bus allowance, it used to be a gym membership. I think we're going to start to see some very interesting alternatives popping up with, uh, with perk offers uh, going forward. I'll just note that one Canadian company actually converted from doing general telemedicine strictly to mental health. So that, that was an interesting development this year as well. Um, it's, it's, it's so hard to gain access to mental health uh, going through the system, right? Going to the doctor, uh, going into the hospital. So the ability to have, uh, you know, have that discussion from at least the luxury of your home, at least to get the first few rounds of uh, done, I think is, is a huge opportunity for uh, certainly for, like you said, the millennial generation. And, you know, for good or for bad, I will admit that, uh, you know, I've, I've also used it for those purposes. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's there, it's out there, we need, to, we need to face it and we need to stop finding that stigma when it comes to, uh, to mental health issues. Yep, we all need help once in a while, nothing, no harm in that. Talking about medical technology, Mike, and uh, a really fascinating company by a very young entrepreneur, uh, Jade Doucette Martino joins us. She's the CEO and co-founder of Puzzle Medical Devices. Jade, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you so much for having me today. And Mike, um, yeah, the puzzle uh, will be unraveled now. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't want to spoil it and sound too professional at the beginning. So I'm going to let uh, Jad uh, give us a little bit of an outline before we go into the history and how and why of exactly what this, uh, what it is that you've been working on. Great. So, yeah, well, it's quite simple. Uh, as a puzzle, uh, we've developed a heart pump for patients with advanced heart failure. And these patients currently have no optimal solutions because the one currently offers are big heart pumps, which require open heart surgery to be implanted. But these patients are so fragile, they cannot undergo this invasive procedure to get that heart pump. And so what we've built is a modular heart pump, which we bring inside the patient through the vessel and we build, but only once it is inside the patient's body. And therefore, we're able to avoid this open heart surgery and allow most patients to be eligible for this procedure. So what, what's involved for an individual to go? I mean, is this like day procedure? Is this going into the hospital overnight? Yeah, so current heart pumps on the market require a few weeks of, of post-hospitalization with the patients. Uh, with a minimally invasive procedure, it's normally a 24-hour hospitalization. So it's really bringing down the amount of time the patients needs to be in this hospital and also minimizing the complications related with a procedure like this. So for an open heart surgery, as you might uh, see, there's a lot of complications with opening a heart of a patient and cutting down the, the sternum. Uh, but with a minimally invasive procedure, which is just doing a small incision on a, an artery, well, there's minimal complications related to that. It's super interesting. And, and we didn't really do a good job of explaining the product in the first segment, Jade. But when you tried to explain it to investors or to people when you were first pitching the idea, did people think you were kind of crazy? I mean, it sounds it sounds weird. Of course, that uh, our first impression when uh, we started the company, uh, we, we were only three very young students. So we needed to work on our credibility, uh, arriving and telling doctors, hey, we're three students. We want to revolutionize the world of heart pumps. Of course, that was a, a challenge we needed to face. Uh, and that we understood quite well, uh, we were able to prove through multiple different tests, in vitro, in vivo trials, uh, that our device was superior 
from the ones on the market. Uh, and this was sort of our compelling proof of concept with uh, which we went out and saw KOLs met with key opinion leaders in the field uh, and really brought them onto the project on board directly as either advisors, chief medical officer, or any other type of uh, mentoring, if you'd like, to have their names on the project and to allow people to start to want to, to be more involved, either as investors or other. And what we've seen is that during these trials that we've performed, we actually invited uh, clinical clinicians from around the world, uh, from Europe, from uh, U the USA, from Canada, and we were able to make them do the procedure. And following that, we were even able to conclude an investment from these clinicians. So that's sort of a huge validation for us because our customers are in the future clinicians, you know, so having investors that are our customers is really validating for us, certainly the ones that have performed the procedure uh, and the trials. So this this started out of uh, Ecole Technologie Supérieure ETS, correct? While you were while you were students? Yeah, well, uh, it wasn't like uh, something we did in the university. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we've taken a, an entrepreneurship class in that university. Uh, where we teamed up, myself, uh, Francois in robotics engineering, and Gabriel, who was a student at University of Montreal in um, for for medical degree, so uh, as a cardiac surgeon, um, and we've teamed up together. And it's actually Gabriel; he, he was receiving patients with advanced heart failure, and really felt like he had no optimal solutions to offer to them, and that the ones currently offered were sort of seldom offered solutions um, because patients weren't eligible for them. Uh, so he, he really brought this problem up and combined with this entrepreneurship class at ETS, we were able to sort of have the basics to do the startup and to build something around that. So we submitted our first uh, patent application and that's where everything started. So you're currently in the propulsion program at Centec. Is that, uh, is that the stage that you're at? Yeah, well, we recently graduated from that propulsion program in December, actually. So we're quite proud. We're, we're flying on our own from since then. Uh, we've just uh, got our new offices uh, where we were able to, to sort of build all our uh, device in-house. So we're able to have the equipment, uh, the machines, and also to hire the people uh, and the experts to have in-house capacities, which we were sort of uh, not able to get at Santec because it, it, it was a too small of a space, but now we're able to, to be on our own and uh, to bring our fabrication uh, chain in-house instead of outsourcing everything. So how, how has COVID over the last 11 months affected? I mean, for a lot of people, uh, some people have been saying it's a great time to try and start a business because, you know, the disruptors. Uh, others are saying at this point, hey, there's no money out there. It's hard to get our message out. How have you found this? And has it been a good or a bad thing for, uh, for your business? Yeah, great question. I, and I think uh, it is a great moment to build a startup, but you need to know how to build it. Uh, for a hardware company, what is very challenging is uh, that you have hardware, you need different parts. And these different parts often startups start with having consultants around the world, uh, building them for them and uh, bringing it here. Uh, and that at the moment is sort of impossible because the delays of outsourcing are huge. To get a single 
device, we would wait eight months to have it uh, while we are able to do it here in, in a few weeks. Um, so it's crazy the amount of time that is reduced if you have the equipment in-house. And I think this is what we've done very early on and that we're able to do is to really uh, build something in-house and be able to prototype very fast. Uh, so uh, yes, of course, it's a great time if you understand this. On the on the device itself, um, it is it is complicated as we were explaining. So it's basically a heart pump that assembles itself inside the body, reducing the invasive surgeries needed. I hope I'm getting that right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in any case, it's very specialized, and therefore um, the competitive environment is is a bit tough to get a handle on. Do you have competitors? Are there other such devices out there? And and how do you know how to measure up against them in such a sort of emerging class of products? Of course, and um, heart pumps are new on the market. So it's been only about two decades, uh, a little bit over that, that we are developing heart pumps for, for patients with heart failure. Um, so we have two major sort of types of heart pumps in competition. So of course, the ones that I've spoken about before are the big heart pumps, uh, which require this open heart surgery. And that can be implanted on the long term in the patients uh, who need a new heart. Uh, but there's also, for a totally different indication for you, small heart pumps that are big like a pinky finger. Um, and these small heart pumps, uh, well, they cannot be implanted on the long term because since they're so small compared to the big heart pumps, well, they need to turn really fast uh, to provide the same amount of flow. And what happens is that they destroy every blood element uh, from the patient, and that makes people bleed. So patients will bleed uh, from the, the gastrointestinal, from the head. Um, so what happens is that these small heart pumps are really good, for, but for an acute treatment, so for a few days treatment. Uh, and our patients, which we're aiming at, are really in need of a new heart on the longer term. Uh, and that's why we are avoiding this open heart surgery uh, that is required by big heart pumps, but we are also uh, minimizing the blood damage uh, that current small heart pumps do. And how we do so is really by reducing this uh, speed of our uh, rotation of, of the device. And this is how we really minimize um, the blood damage also. So getting to market certainly in the, in the medical environment requires uh, two very, very large processes. One is lots of money and two is inevitably the preclinical, the clinical trials and everything else. So um, let's start with uh, how long under normal circumstances do you think uh, this is going to take to find its way into the marketplace? Uh, I believe you're in, in pre-trial uh, animals now. Uh, how long will it take you to to get there? And and then obviously the, the, the age old question of, you know, COVID had its effects. It certainly must have changed the financing side of uh, of where things are. How are you guys doing in order to get to market and where's the money coming from? Great question. Uh, yeah, of course, we, we need to follow a, a regulatory <laughs> pathway and this regulatory pathway dictates what are the next steps uh, to get to, to commercialization. And of course, right now we are in preclinical trials and we've had a lot of success in that. So we're continuing these preclinical trials, these verification and validation also uh, towards uh, our first in human trial, which will allow us to be implanted in a first human. Um, and this is aimed for 2023. So it's still close. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll get there even sooner, but that's the plan. 
Um, and followed by that, of course, we'll have our pivotal study. So pivotal study is normally on a much higher number of patients. Um, and then we'll be able to have our commercialization. So it's for sure we'll be doing a stepwise approach. So we won't be aiming at the huge uh, goal that at first. We'll be doing a first step and then going towards our ultimate goal of saving all of these patients that currently need a new heart. Um, and yeah, we're exciting to do so. And finances, where, uh, I mean, obviously, everybody was worried about trying to keep the world going with uh, during the beginning of COVID and subsidizing. That must have made, provided some major challenges for you guys to, to get your hands on some, on some seed capital. Yeah, you're right. Um, we actually were closing a financing round by the end of March 2020. Uh, and mid-March 2020, actually, all our investors were like uh, understanding that there, were, there was a world pandemic. Uh, so we really needed to, to, to flip on a coin, if you like, um, and understand the reality of people. We understood it was a very risky time. And we really questioned ourselves, who likes risks? And the answer to that, of course, is entrepreneurs. So that's why we went towards them and we said, hey, we're raising a financing round. We're a risky device and it's risky times. Are you in? And we were able to raise our round as such. Um, and we're also raising a second financing round uh, in 2021 that will allow us to perform our first in human trials. So you can, uh, you can continue to teach me as you have since we started this exercise, because this is a little bit of, above my pay grade. But, you know, when, when I look at, um, you know, the biotech field and the medical instruments, I mean, obviously, you're, is, is the goal here for you guys to roll this out or will this be uh, bought up along the way uh, into a very large organization in order for eventual rollout? What, what do you see as the future? Yeah, good question. Um, we are a growing team right now and everyone is the team is here for the long run. Uh, of course, our, our goal is to build an empire, uh, an empire with multiple different devices. As more as we grow, as more as we're able to get key opinion leaders on board and to have people coming to us um, and we're sort of building our patent portfolio around all of this knowledge we are getting and all this expertise we're developing. Uh, so, of course, our goal is really to, to become a, a big uh, company in medical device uh, development. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we're aiming for. So just feeding on Dan's question before, um, you know, going to market in competition, is, is there a race to market at this point for, for your product? Is there enough competition out there? Do you think that, um, you know, you're ahead of the curve? Uh, where do you, where do you think you fall? Not only just in Canada, obviously, but, but around the world. Of course, and there is competition uh, in startup world uh, for heart failure, of course. Uh, but we are really focusing on developing the best product. So we think all our focus goes towards that. Uh, and it, if it takes a year extra, but we get there and we're able to, to save many more patients because our product is really the best out there, uh, we'll, we think the rest will come with it. So I think the focus is really on the product and the rest is, uh, will, will come along. We're going to talk about R&D next. Uh, so you mentioned you want to have a suite of products and we don't want you to give away you know, all your, all your future plans, but are there any other spaces in medical technology that you think are especially interesting? 
Yeah, well, presently we're really focused on cardio. So of course, all our patent portfolio is more on directly the device itself, the implantation of the device, uh, the features around the device and the system, of course, the software behind it, the controller. Uh, but eventually, probably, uh, we can go broader than that. Our guest this evening is Jay Doucette Martineau. We'll have her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up in a few minutes. But first, we welcome back uh, FL Tax partner Ernie Furt to the program. Uh, Ernie, uh, you're going to tell us about some, um, some R&D, which is going to be very, very handy for young entrepreneurs like Jade. Or old entrepreneurs who want to just advance their business a little bit. It doesn't matter which type of entrepreneurs are there. The Canadian government and the Quebec government are the, uh, amongst the most uh, the best incentives in the world for uh, for R&D that's carried out in Canada. And you know, in order to get them, you know, you can be a Canadian controlled company or you can be a foreign company, and they change their rates of of assistance based on uh, on what you have. As long as you're doing R&D, you know, an R&D effectively. You have to have some technological uncertainty. There has to be a scientific method, so it can't be like hit and miss and just keep trying something until it works. Uh, and there has to be some technical technological advancement for the for the entity. Uh, and the way that the federal government uh, gives this R and D credit, R and D money, is they they divide things into an expense pool and a credit pool. And the expense pool is something that you have the control over when to deduct it. If you don't need it deducted, you won't deduct it. You'll carry it forward for a bit. But the credit pool, that's where the interesting thing comes in. Because you can get good money for this. Effectively, from the federal government, you can get a 35% refundable uh, investment tax credit of up to $3 million, uh, up to $3 million of expenditure. So 35% of that. Uh, Quebec has a 30% rate. They're both calculated just slightly differently on different things. Uh, a lot of it's labor-based, and it, it, it's very interesting because labor and materials, and then they give you a, a proxy method in the federal government for um, uh, for overhead, which is basically 55% of the labor. And the labor can include the owner of the business as long as the owner of the business is not uh, it, it, it doesn't exceed two and a half times the year's maximum pensionable earnings for QPP, which currently is at $154,000. The R&D side of things is, is we've known, especially in an environment like uh, like Quebec's where there that is such a rich program, a lot of companies uh, survive off of uh, R&D, at least in, in the early stages. Uh, and then a lot of them, when they start to get financing, they'll go across the border and they're starting to look at getting financing from uh, U.S. VCs or entrepreneurs or uh, potential vertical integrated companies. Um, the things for us to watch out with uh, from the R&D side once you start to get financing outside of Canada? Well, it depends on the control of the corporation. So you can get financing from outside of Canada, but it, they, they don't necessarily have to have an ownership interest in the company. So you can remain a Canadian-controlled private corporation and continue with the enhanced rates. But if you lose the Canadian control status, all of a sudden, for federal purposes, the refundability of the credit is no longer there. And then you have a, a non-refundable credit, which is only applied against income taxes, of 15% as opposed to the 35% refundable credit that you had previously. Quebec continues its refundability of its credit, but the credit rate goes down from the 30 to the 14.
so the the discussion and timing of when you decide to go get financing and how much you need is something that should be taken into account before and not after the fact and how you get set up. So there's planning involved there with your tax there's, practitioner to make sure that it's done properly. There's planning involved, and you know if you get an equity round from uh, from foreign interests, you just have to watch your thin capitalization rules in terms of payment. Of, uh, of interest because some of that interest may not be deductible if your debt to equity ratio isn't one and a half to one. So uh, the debt, uh, you know, one and a half to one. So you'll you have to be careful with that. Uh, you have to be careful with, you know, foreign receivables that you don't pay any interest on, okay? Because if they're there for over a year, you're gonna have an interest pickup, a deemed interest pickup uh, of the prescribed rate. Currently, it's not that bad at 1%, but you're not getting that 1%. You're just being taxed on an extra 1%. Why do you need that for? Ernie Furt, tax partner at FL. Thanks so much, Ernie, for your tips. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay, so at the end of our show, we always do our one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Jed Doucette, Marcineau, your one piece of advice, please. I would tell to all the uh, future entrepreneurs out there to just do it. Go forward with your idea and make it happen. Jade, very well put, very simple. And uh, Jane Doucette-Martineau of Puzzle Medical Devices, uh, certainly a fascinating company to watch. Thanks so much and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, Mike. Don't forget a decade worth of entrepreneur profiles at todaysentrepreneur.org. And uh, tune in next time. Don't forget you can hear us on uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and wherever you find your podcasts. See you back here in a couple of weeks. Good night. Thanks a lot, Dan. Stay safe. Good talk.